Would you, would you just pray with me? Let's, let's ask God to speak to us through his word today. God, we, um, as always, God, we are humbled um, at who you are. We're so thankful for your presence in this place. We're thank you, we, we thank you for meeting us today. God, your word promises that where two or three gather in your name, there you are. And God, we can sense your presence in this place today. We know that where your presence is, Lord, all things change. Lord, we, we have an opportunity to be made new and to experience you, to encounter you. And God, we, we continue, Lord, to ask you to help us to be more aware of your presence. Lord, we know that you desire to work in our lives and through our lives. And God, we also thank you for the power of your word, the power to transform our lives. God, we, we know that there are things in our lives that need to be shaped and changed and transformed if we are to look more and more like you. And so, God, we open our hearts and we open our minds to your word today, and we invite you, God, to speak to us, to challenge our hearts, to challenge our lives, to be more like you. God, we thank you again for your word. God, would you help me to get out of the way again today so that you can have your way. It's your way that we desire this morning in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we are in part two of a new series, and uh, I, I labeled it Upside Down Kingdom, uh, but I realized about halfway through the week, uh, this last week, after introducing the, the idea of an upside down kingdom being the kingdom of God, that Perhaps there was room for someone to go away um, confused or offended. I hope that you're not offended, but um, I, I want to just make clear this idea this morning of an upside-down kingdom, that, that the, the kingdom that Jesus ushered into this world is an upside-down kingdom. If we're being really honest, that's not correct, and I, I'll just acknowledge that. Because really, the way that God created the world and designed things to happen, it's his kingdom. And so really, it's the, the right-side-up kingdom. And the world is the upside-down kingdom, right? And so I apologize for misleading you. Jesus' kingdom is not an upside-down kingdom. Uh, but it feels upside-down when we look at it through the lens of, uh, of the flesh and through the lens of the world. And what the world says doesn't line up with what Jesus says and how he challenges and encourages us to live. And so, um, but we're going to stick with upside down kingdom because the graphics already on the screen. So just have some grace for me this morning. We're going to talk about grace. And so I hope that you, I hope you weren't confused or offended by this idea. We know that Jesus is the one who does everything right. Are you with me? So it's not upside down. It's not backwards or upside down. It's actually the right way. And that's why we're trying to tune our hearts and our lives to, to fit, right? To be a part of his kingdom because it's the right way to live. Well, last week we talked about um, this idea of servitude and serving and how uh, Jesus entered and uh, entered the, the world. And when he came, he ushered in a new kingdom and it was among many other kingdoms, and the kingdom that Jesus brought to this world looks very, very different from anything that existed then or now. It's very, very different from what people expected the Messiah to bring uh, into the world and how, how he would operate. You know, all these people who saw him as the Messiah... They really thought that he was going to come in and overthrow the government and take charge and lead as, as other kingdoms and kings had done and demonstrated. And Jesus came in a very different way. He came gently. He came humbly. And he came, and it, it, last week we looked and, and, and he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. We were looking at the Lord's table a couple weeks ago, and we rolled right out of that into the conversation that happened around the Lord's table where there, they were, there was an argument. These, these men around the table were like, they were arguing, who's going to be considered the greatest? And Jesus said, hey, listen, we're, the, the way that you're talking about greatness is inaccurate. And what you need to know is that if you're going to be great, you need to become a servant. 
And if you desire to be first, then you need to be last. You need to become a slave even. And so Jesus changes their mindset and begins to teach them and model for them servant leadership. And, and so it's very contrary to culture, very counterintuitive to the way that we tend to live our lives. We talked about that if we're going to live as part of the kingdom of God, if we're going to live the way God intends us to live, encourages us, draws us into, if we're going to live the way that he desires us to live in his kingdom and really helping to establish his kingdom uh, more fully on the earth here until he comes again for his family, for his people, then, then we need to understand that it's going to look different than the world tells us it should look. Amen? So that's where we landed last week. I also want to just point out that um, we identified two things, two tools that God has given us to make it possible for us to move away from both selfishness into selflessness, as well as all these other kingdom principles that Jesus gives to us. There are two things that, that are given to help us to do this. We have to recognize that we cannot do this on our own. Without the tools and the resources that God gives us, we will not live effectively as part of the kingdom of God. And the tools that, that we identified last week, and we're going to continue to identify, and I want to encourage you to press into these things and learn how to use these tools and invite the Holy Spirit as one of those tools that helps us to live the way God wants us to, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit can't come unless I go. And so he said, I'm going away and I'll send the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he did. That's what we saw happening at the establishment of the early church. The Holy Spirit was given. And the Holy Spirit gives us insight, gives us wisdom where we lack it in our, in our own uh, abilities. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and is a guide and a comforter and brings peace where there's no peace. And the Holy Spirit really ushers us into this place that, that cannot exist outside of the Holy Spirit helping us to, to know it and discover it. And that is the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to become what we can't become on our own. And then secondly, the Bible, God's word. Uh, I, I hope that you know that although you can buy this at a lot of bookstores, it is not like any other book that you're going to find in those bookstores. Amen? This book is alive. This is God's living word. And it is the instruction that he has given to us. It helps us to better understand his kingdom principles and how to live according to those principles. And so we need to allow this book, God's word, to transform our lives. Amen? These are some of the tools that God gives us to live effectively as part of his kingdom. I also mentioned, uh, I, I used kind of a, uh, a picture image last week with my passport. I pulled out my passport and I talked about how my identity is linked to this passport. It actually identifies me as a citizen of the United States of America. And in a, in a similar fashion, we were all born into this world with a spiritual passport. And that spiritual passport identified us as sinful, broken people. But Jesus came, and when he ushered in his new kingdom, he gave us the opportunity to receive a new passport, a passport that relieves us from sin and brokenness and, and brings to us forgiveness and freedom and life where we had death and all kinds of beautiful things in place of the old, broken, sinful lives that we, were, that we, that we came into this world with. And so we have an opportunity to receive a new passport Jesus has made that possible for us. And today, I, I want to look at another principle that Jesus both taught and modeled for us that is very countercultural. It's very counterintuitive. And it's the issue or, or the subject, the principle of grace. Everybody say grace. grace. You know, it's interesting as we look at the life of Jesus and, and the teachings of Jesus, how he encouraged us and modeled for us to live a life that is full of grace. Now, when we talk about grace, we have to recognize that we have received grace when we didn't deserve it. Jesus, was, he, he gave grace, and basically what it is is it's favor on our lives that, that is unmerited. We didn't earn it. We, we could never earn the grace that we have received. And he responds in hard circumstances with grace... When the world says, uh-uh, you hurt me, 
Like, I'm going to hold you at arm's distance. I'm not going to treat you with grace because you've now wronged me. You said something about me. And so we react to situations and people around us. We react when Jesus wants us to respond with grace. And I, I want us to jump in and I want us to look at an example. We could look at many examples of how Jesus responded with grace, but there's one in particular that I want us to look at today because it really is a continuation of that conversation around the, the Last Supper, the Lord's table, that conversation that, that went from serving, Jesus challenging them to be a servant and to serve their lives away, and, and it rolls right into this situation that happened in Peter's life where Peter, he thought that he was fully committed to Christ. And I want us to consider the, the relationship that had, had formed around that table with Jesus and his disciples. These were Jesus' closest companions. These were, these were Jesus' peeps. These were, these were his best friends. These were the, the men who had dedicated their lives to following him, to becoming like him. And, and the, the conversations that they had brought intimacy and brought, brought closeness in their relationship. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how around the table, we, we read that, that Jesus was there at the table and the one whom Jesus loved, who liked to tell everybody that he was the one whom Jesus loved, John was leaning back against his, his chest while there, I mean, there's a closeness, there's an intimacy that is, that is here. And I think that sometimes we look at Jesus and because we, we identify him both as fully God and fully man, sometimes we, we overemphasize the fully God part in that we look at him and we go, well, yeah, he could do that because he was God. But he was also fully man. And, and I think sometimes we dismiss the feelings, we dismiss the emotion that Jesus went through as a man, a man with friends around the table, a man with friends who sold him out, a man with friends who completely denied that they knew him when he was at the hardest moments of his life. And so I, I want us to look at that this morning. And what happened is we find that Peter he makes this declaration, Jesus, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll go to prison with you. Well, let's look at it in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and following. It, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Simon, Simon. We know that that was Simon's name before Jesus gave him the name Peter. By the way, if you don't already know, the name Peter or Petra, Petros was rock. So this is, this is the man who's been identified as a rock, like steady, right? You, you can bank on it. It's not going to move. It's, he's a rock. And, and yet we're about to discover that um, it wasn't quite as firm as maybe he wanted it to be. So Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. That just popped in my head. Maybe he called him Simon because he's like, you know, you're about to move back from where you were as a, not where you are as a rock back to being a, a reed. Simon, Simon means reed, like blown around, pushed around. I don't know, maybe that's why. Anyway, I'm not going to preach that because I don't, haven't studied it, haven't looked at it. But he calls him Simon. And he says, Satan has asked to sift you. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. What I want you to, to understand and see here is that Jesus already knew, was anticipating, and making room for the fault, for the error that was about to come. He's already, he's already speaking that he's, he's not leaving. He's, the, the, the relation, no matter what happens in the relationship that Jesus is, he's making room for, for the faults, for the errors that Simon Peter is about to make. I pleaded with you, and I want you to strengthen your brothers once you've repented and turned back to me. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. Nothing's standing in the way. Like, I'm fully committed. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm even ready to die with you. Like, is there anything, any stronger language, stronger ideas that Peter could have presented to, to affirm to Jesus, man, I am committed Nothing is going to separate me and you. Like, we're, I'm, I'm all in. And, and so then Jesus continues, says, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, 
you'll deny three times that you even know me. Think about what, what's going through Peter's mind after he made this strong declaration. No, no, Lord. Prison, death, I'm in. And then, and then Jesus makes this declaration. Listen, you, you're going to deny me. Before the, crow, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. So Jesus is making room for the fault that he knows is about to come. Let's jump to verses 54 and following. Let, let me just set this up. So they have this meal together. They go to the garden, and, and they're there in the garden. And then the, um, we know that Judas went and sold Jesus out, said, I know where he's at. Come with me. And, and the, then he leads the soldiers to where Jesus is at, and the soldiers arrest Jesus. Now Jesus is on his way to be crucified on the cross. And in the midst of all of this turmoil, so they come and arrest their friend. And you know, one of them pulls out a knife and like cuts the guy's ear off. And like, they're like, we're ready to fight. This guy's going to take over and we're with him. He's, you know, we're on his team. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand, guys. This is not the kingdom. This is not the way the kingdom is going to be brought. And so, so they're, they're in the midst of turmoil, chaos. Now Jesus, their man, their boy is arrested and they're wondering what is going on. Like, how could this happen? And so they arrest him, and they led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. So Peter's not like, he's not running in fear right now. He's like, okay, what's going on? Like, this, this is not how this was supposed to go down. He's following. He wants to know what's happening to his, his friend and his Messiah, Jesus. And so the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. I want you to just make a mental note of that fire, because there are triggers in my life that remind me of my past. There are things that happened in my life where I go, oh, wow, yeah. And it's a reminder of something that happened. And I have to wonder if every time Peter gathered around a fire after this situation, if he was reminded of what happened in these moments. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. Peter joined them there. Verse 56, a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. And how does Peter respond? He denies it. Woman, woman, I don't even know him. I wonder if in that moment, Peter's like, wait, what did I just do? Have you ever been in that where you've, something's come off your tongue and you're like, did I really just, oh, can I take, nope, can't take it back. I, I don't know what might've gone through Peter's mind, but we know later in scripture, it does come to mind. We're gonna get there, but he denies it to, to a young lady right there first, the first time. And then Again, in verse, um, in verse 58, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not. Peter retorted. Like, these, this is not like, no, 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 no. I mean, if this is strong, like emphatic. I, I don't know him. Now he's probably starting to get a little, a little upset. Maybe he's wondering what's going to happen if they identify me as, am I going to go to prison? Oh, wait, I said I would go to prison. Am I going to die? Oh, I already said I would die. I don't know. What, what's going through Peter's mind? Um, but all the while, what we come to find is that Jesus is, he's viewing all this. He's seeing all this. Uh, verse 59, uh, about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And what happened? At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me. You will deny that you know me. Three times. I, I, I think it's a little easier, at least for me, to put myself in Peter's shoes because I, I know I've made mistakes and I'm like, that, that's, not, I, I, that's not a good feeling. That's not a good place to be. Man, can you imagine letting Jesus down? I said I would die. I said I would go to prison, and here he is, and I just, I totally did what he said I was going to do. But, but beyond that, today, I want us to consider, how was Jesus feeling in the midst of all this? I, I have to believe that Jesus felt everything that we feel. I believe that Scripture leads us to, to understand that, that Jesus experienced everything that we experience. And so where, where, we where we would face 
heartache, where we would feel lonely or abandoned, I believe Jesus felt those same things. These were the closest people to Jesus. These were his best friends, and they, one of them just sold him for 30 pieces of silver, sold him out. The other one denied that he even knew him right in front of him. I got to imagine that Jesus is like, it's really lonely right here, right now. In fact, we know that Jesus felt things deeply because when he was in the garden, he, he pled with his father to take the cup away from him. If this cup can be taken away, in, in essence, what he was saying is, God, if there's another way for you to accomplish your will, let's do it another way. I really am not looking forward to going to the cross. I'm really not looking forward to, to this path that you have me on. But then in the same breath, Jesus says, but not my will, but your will be done. And he submits himself, total obedience to the will of God, to the will of his father. I have to imagine, oh, so I, I forgot. We, we know that he feels deeply, things deeply, because the Bible tells us that in that moment of stress and anxiety and tension, the things that Jesus was carrying, the, the, the weight on his shoulders in his life spiritually, it influenced him to the point where he sweat drops of blood. You can't tell me that he wasn't feeling something in these moments. And when his friends were abandoning him and leaving him, and by the way, it wasn't just Peter because nobody else stuck up for him. They, we don't even know if they stayed within earshot of what was going on. They, they all took off. Nobody, nobody turned up to be a friend to Jesus in his time of need. I got to imagine that Jesus was probably feeling pretty lonely in those moments, abandoned, forgotten, and, and here he is. We see him in, in, in a desperate, difficult situation, and I, we have to ask, how does Jesus respond? Because this happens to us. We, we, we get hurt by people. People say something, or you know, people that we trust end up doing something that is not what we expected or not what we hoped for, and we get hurt. We, we get offended with people, and when that happens, how do we respond? Well, if we're part of the kingdom of God and we have a new identity, then we can't respond the way the world says we should respond or, or even justifies that, you know, oh, man, if somebody mistreats you, you got you to gotta just take care of yourself. You got to just keep them at arm's length. Listen, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you today to put yourself in, in harm's way because people are making poor choices. But what I am saying is we've got to learn something from the response of grace that Jesus both taught and demonstrates. And so we, let's look at how Jesus responds in this situation. There, there are things just like the principle of serving, that there's an invitation to what Jesus teaches and models, this servant uh, attitude. There are things that we are invited into because of his model, as well with this idea of grace. The, this grace that we see modeled by Jesus in his kingdom it invites us to several things, and I want to just look at three of those that, that I think we can see in this example uh, in Jesus' response to Peter and the re really the rest of the disciples as well who abandoned him in his time of need. Number one, oh, huh, sorry, I skipped ahead some of my notes. Um, let, me, let me just uh, highlight a couple of scriptures. Um, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Mark 16, verse 7. Now, this is after Jesus had been crucified, and then he rose again on the third day, and now some of the ladies go to visit the tomb, and they don't find Jesus. They find an empty tomb, and at the tomb, angel, right? And so here, these, this is the angel who is speaking to these women. He says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Why, why, would they, why would the angels specify, hey, don't forget about Peter? Like, he's one of the disciples. Why couldn't he just say, go tell the disciples? Well, theologians have a lot, different theories, different ideas about this, but I have to believe that God recognized probably some of the emotion, the shame, the guilt that Peter was dealing with in these moments. Maybe he was even hiding away. Maybe, maybe there was an idea that Peter may not be where all the other disciples would be. I mean, we, we can read some of that in scripture and find out what was going on. But I think ultimately God knew that Peter was going to need some, some affirmation, that Peter was going to need to know that just because he turned in the spiritual passport and went back to the sinful, broken identity, that, that God did not dismiss him or excuse him, but that he 
was still pursuing him. Jesus is risen. He told you this was going to happen. And, and the message is for you too, Peter. Don't think that you're, you've been you know, dismissed or, 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 or you've lost out, missed out on the, the future and the plans of God and his kingdom. You still have a part. If we continue on to John chapter 21, we find uh, the response of Jesus to this scenario where he's been sold out. And so Jesus dies, he raises again on the third day. He's, he has uh, revealed himself a couple of times to the disciples to say, hey guys, I told you I was gonna raise again. I, was, I wasn't gonna stay dead, I, I'm, I, it's me, I'm here. So he appears, he begins to appear to the disciples. And the third time that he appears to the disciples, we read in John chapter 21. I want us to look at, at John chapter 21 today and it's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can just keep your attention on the screens. I apologize. I thought I had this marked. John chapter 21. Let me just begin to read for you. It says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, you remember that Jesus called Peter as a fisherman, and he said to Peter, hey, come, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He gave him new purpose, a new design for his life. I know you're a fisherman. I know you're good at what you do, but there's a greater purpose for your life than catching fish. I want you to follow me so I can teach you to catch men. And he's talking about catching men for eternal life, to have eternal life. And, and so it's interesting to me that as soon as things go sideways for Peter, he goes back to what he knows. He goes back to what was comfortable he goes back to fishing. And we know that Peter was a leader because he led a bunch of these disciples to go back to that place. He's like, I'm going fishing. And the guys say, hey, we'll go with you. That's what we read in, in this passage. It says, uh, Peter, uh, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Coincidence? I don't think so. Why? Because when, when we lose sight of our purpose, our kingdom purpose, oftentimes we revert to what was comfortable. We revert to the old life. We, we, we turn in the spiritual uh, passport that God has given us, new life and freedom and forgiveness, and we go back to what we knew, the place that was comfortable. But as soon as we go back there, God goes, this is not what I have for you. No fish. I know you think you're, this is what you're supposed to be doing, but how, how many days are you going to spend fishing when you don't catch any fish, right? Before you recognize, <laughs> well, I guess this is really not what I'm supposed to be doing. Not a coincidence that they didn't catch any fish. And so then we find that Jesus, uh, he shows up. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, uh, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? As if he didn't know the answer to that question. No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, there's John talking about himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the load uh, the loaded net to the shore for there were about uh, there were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Oh yeah, last week we talked about serving, right? We're, we're going to get back to that in a second. But here's Jesus with breakfast waiting for them on the shore. Uh, so it says uh, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. 
This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Have you ever had somebody ask you the same question twice in a row? You know, it was my experience when I came to Ethiopia and started learning Amharic. You greet someone and they ask you like four times, how, how are you? I'm like, I already told you three times. Exabiri meskin. You know, I'm, I'm good. Salamno. Salamno. I'm like, how many times are we going to do this? But I think there's a point to it, right? Like you're communicating something when you repeat yourself. That's what Jesus was doing with Simon Peter. He wasn't just trying to be annoying to ask the question over and over again. He was making a point. He's making a point that Simon Peter would not forget. And although it began to frustrate him, we're going to get to that. I believe that the message of Jesus is powerful and we need to hear it this morning. He says, yes, Lord. I love you. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus responded by saying, then feed my sheep. A couple verses later, he invites Peter to follow him. It's a, it's a re-invitation. Peter, I know where you've been, but I still want you to follow me. Let me talk about three things that I believe we're invited to, into as we follow this demonstration of grace that Jesus gives to us. I believe, number one, that it's an invitation to forgive the offender. Jesus, I, I don't know, I can't say that Jesus was offended, but I'm sure he felt pretty lonely in that moment where His friend had sold, one friend had sold him out, another had denied him, the rest of them scattered. Nobody was there in his time of need. And yet Jesus doesn't go, forget you. This is how you treat me when I'm in trouble? And and you want me to continue to be nice, continue to be a friend? Because the world would say, yeah, whatever, forget you. That's the world that we live in. That's the world that they lived in. Nobody would have responded the way Jesus responded, but that's the difference between his kingdom and the world's kingdom. And he's invited us to respond to difficult situations, to hurt, to pain, to broken relationships the same way he did. He didn't say, you know what, I'm, not, I'm just not even going to deal with those guys. I'm going to run away. I'm going to distance myself. No, he pursues them. He shows up on the beach. He knows where they're going to be, and he calls to them, and he's, he's, he, he invites them back into relationship. And, and he's, he's not holding a grudge. He's not offended. He's not hurt, although I'm sure it hurt in the moment. He doesn't demonstrate or, or retaliate on the, the aloneness or the pain that he experienced from his friends abandoning him. No, instead, he models grace. He models grace. What do we do when someone offends us? Whatever. That's the way you want to be. I'll find other friends, right? We're quick to jump ship if we feel like the ship is not, you know, friendly to us, right? We're like, I'm out of here. That, that's how the world trains us to respond to, to difficult situations, to, to abandonment. That's, that's the, way, the way that we are trained by the kingdoms of the world. And yet Jesus trains us differently, teaches us differently, lives, models differently In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. What he had seen, what he had learned, what he had experienced in the lives of the disciples who followed Jesus. And now he's saying, listen, this is what Jesus wants us to do. If we're going to be part of his kingdom, his different kingdom, it's going to look differently for us. And we need to make room, make allowance for other people's faults. We saw Jesus do that with Peter. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive 
others. You know, the, this teaching goes even further. Jesus uh, has some teaching that is even stronger than what Paul presents to the church in Colossae. And we find, we find what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. It says, but you, to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your, what? Love your enemies? Who does that? Those of us who belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who... Am I reading that right? Because this is so counterintuitive to us. Like, wait, people hate me and you want me to love them instead? Like, when people hate me, usually that's not a good thing. I'm not wanting to invite that into my life. Because the, the culture around us says... No, you take care of yourself. Like, you know, you know, use your head. God gave you a good brain. Use your brain, right? But Jesus says, no, love those who hate. Love your enemies. Take care of those even who persecute you. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. You, you see how upside down this feels? How different this is from our culture? If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek? Are you crazy? I, I really struggle with this one. Really? Like, really? Because it's so counterintuitive. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Jesus gives this teaching. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. He's, he's teaching against what the world says is right, and he's saying, I'm introducing something. I know it sounds crazy. I know it doesn't, doesn't go well with, with what the world says, but that's because my world is not the world's, the, the same as the world, and I have something better. I have something greater for you, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to be trying. It's going to be challenging. Somebody slaps you, you got to turn the other cheek. Someone asks you for your coat, give him your shirt too. And Jesus just turns this whole idea of how we are supposed to live on its head. And he challenges us to live a life of service and a life of grace. Even when someone has hurt you, love them, pray for them, be kind to them. Forgive the offender. You know, the, our fleshly response, the way we, what's intuitive to us, what comes naturally to us, will never reflect the love of God. It will never reflect the kingdom of God. It will always reflect me and what I want, what I desire. We've got to learn to get outside of our natural response, our sinful response, because that's the identity of the old passport. And we don't live according to that identity anymore. When we belong to Christ, we respond the way Christ responds and wants us to respond. And the way that we do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our, on our own. That's why we have to remember those tools that God has given us. He, he's given us all that we need for life and godliness. He's given us all we need to live according to his principles, his kingdom principles. And one of them is to forgive those who offend you. Yeah, but, you know, if I, if I just, if I act really mad and angry and I just, if I, you know, silent treatment is really effective, then they'll know that I'm angry with them. Well, what are you doing to the relationship? You may have heard this saying that holding on to anger or bitterness and hoping that it has an effect on the other person is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other one. It doesn't work that way. And as we harbor anger and bitterness, all we do is further damage the relationship. And can I just tell you that if it's in the relationship of the kingdom of God and the family of God. We talked about family matters a few weeks back. If it's within the family of God, if we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, you're not only damaging your relationship with your brother or sister, you're damaging the family. You're limiting what God can do in your life, through your life, and in the family of God. We, we cannot continue to hold on to offense and believe that we can walk and reflect the kingdom of God and his love to the people around us. It doesn't work that way. We've got to receive this invitation to forgive those who offend us, and they will offend you. If you haven't been offended yet, just wait. It'll come. Forgive. 
the offended. The second invitation that we have is to serve even when no one else is willing to serve with us. Serve when we're all alone. Jesus shows up on the beach. He doesn't have any of his friends with him saying, hey, let's go encourage those guys. Yeah, I know they messed up, but hey, let's just go together. You know, we can, no, Jesus is all alone. Nobody is serving alongside him. And he shows up and makes breakfast for those boys who abandon him. I'm not going to spend too much time because we spent a whole week last week, uh, a whole message last week talking about serving But Jesus, again, here demonstrates, listen, greatness comes with your willingness to serve even when someone has wronged you. Are you kidding me? Why would I serve them? Why would I I make her breakfast? She ticked me off last night. Talking about my wife, if you didn't pick that up. We want to hang on to it. We want to make them pay. Not serve. Serving someone who has hurt us is the last thing that comes to mind. Again, it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. But Jesus served when he, he didn't need to, didn't have to, other than the fact that he had a plan and a purpose and he was inviting them into it. He, he went and served them. In John chapter 21, verse 13, it tells us that he showed up and he invited them to breakfast. He had prepared a breakfast. And by the way, they're around the fire. And I can't help but think that as Peter walked up to the fire, he had a flashback to a previous fire. And he was probably like, last fire I was gathered around didn't go so well. Now Jesus has just invited me around his fire. Not to mention, he also serves them what? Fish and bread. Not my ideal breakfast, but it worked for them. I have to wonder if there was another flashback to some fish and bread and Jesus doing something really profound with a few loaves, a few fish. I think Jesus does all things intentionally. Jesus comes and he serves them. And, and he invites them back into relationship. After they had blown it, they were probably wrestling with all kinds of emotions, shame, guilt, confusion, their own hurt, and Jesus serves them. What would happen if the next time somebody offended you, you determined in your heart to walk out grace and you actually decided to serve them in the midst of your hurt? I think that much better demonstrates love, the love of God to people, than, "Mm, forget you, right? That's why Jesus demonstrated it for us, taught us, modeled it for us. And the third invitation that I see from this passage is that we have got to magnify God's purpose in people, even if those people have hurt us. We've got to learn to see the purposes of God in the people around us. Because if we can see the purposes in God, it pushes us beyond our hurt, beyond our offense, and we go, you know what? There is kingdom potential in your life, and I desire to see it. I want to magnify what God has planned, the purposes that God has planned for your life. We see that as Jesus begins to ask Peter these questions. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I just told you. I love you. Of course I do. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Third time, Peter's hurt this time. But even through the hurt, what is Jesus doing? He's inviting him back into his kingdom purpose. If you love me, then feed my sheep. You're not a fisherman anymore. You're a fisher of men. Feed my sheep. Love my people. Take care of my people. There's kingdom purpose there. And although Peter probably thought that he was, he was disqualified, Peter probably felt like, man, I really blew it. And Jesus, will, he'll never want me to continue to follow him. Even if he is risen, I doubt he wants me on the team anymore. I probably have lost my place. He, he was probably wrestling with a whole lot of emotion. And what Jesus does is says, listen, even in your faults, I see kingdom purpose in you. I believe in God's purpose, plan for your life. Are you always gonna get it right? No, you're gonna make mistakes, but I still believe that God has a purpose for your life beyond your mistakes. Do we see the plans and the purposes? Do we magnify or do we magnify the ugly? I can't believe you did that to me. I can't believe you said that about me. 
I thought you loved me. I do love you. Well, then why would you? We emphasize the wrong thing because the world says, blow it up, make them feel bad. Jesus says, no, walk in grace. I know it doesn't feel like the right thing to do to you because there's this, there's this tension between your flesh and the spirit that I am giving you to walk out my kingdom principles. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? There's three, three things that I think that you can do to respond in a very practical way today. Number one, if you're here today and you, maybe last week you heard about it, maybe you weren't ready to make the decision, or maybe today's the first time that you're hearing about this. I, I don't know where you're at, but maybe this idea of a new spiritual passport where you can get, get free from the identity of sin and brokenness and shame that comes with all that, Maybe today you're ready to say, I want, I, I'm hungry. I long for a new spiritual passport that identifies me with forgiveness, with freedom, with truth, with wholeness. We sang about God taking broken pieces and mending them and making something whole. Maybe you're here today and you feel broken and you would like to have the new spiritual freedom, life, passport that Jesus is offering. If that's you today, this is an opportunity for you to respond. And if that's you this morning, I, I wanna just ask you to do me a favor R real quick. Would you just raise your hand so that I can pray with you? If you're here and you say, I need new identity. I need, to, I need to have what Christ is offering. I need new life in him. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you, I see your hand there. Thank you, I see you. Several of you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Awesome, thank you, I see your hand. God, I thank you for the, these decisions, Lord. May they not be simple or trite. May they not be an emotional, just an emotional response. But God, I pray, Lord, that this decision to receive the gift of salvation that you offer today, I pray, God, that you would seal that in their hearts. Lord, may the enemy not be able to steal away what you have done in this moment as they've made a decision to have life and freedom and new identity in you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. God, help us to surround these who are making these decisions, to help them to grow in their faith, to grow in their understanding. Lord, that they could walk out this journey and to discover the life that you have created them for. And I pray also, God, that you would not allow them to sit idly on this decision, but God, that you would encourage them to have a conversation with somebody that they know and trust. Lord, that they would begin to unpack the decision that they have made. Lord, that they would find a place of accountability with somebody, that the decision that they're making would not fall to the wayside, that it wouldn't get lost. But God, that today, in this moment, the decision that was made to receive the life that you have come to give, Lord, would you help them to find a place, a person, to be accountable with that decision and that that person would help them to grow in their faith and their knowledge of you. Another thing that might be a response today is to take inventory on your life. We did this last week and we talked about the inventory around service, but today I wanna, I wanna just ask, maybe you would say, you know what, today I need to take inventory on my life. I need to determine where I have been offended and I need to ask the Holy Spirit to replace that offense with forgiveness. Today, maybe you need to recognize that the offense that you've been carrying around has affected your ability to reflect God's grace and love to the world around you, to the people around you. And maybe today you need to say, you know what? I need to say a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to help me to replace the offense with grace and forgiveness. And I need to know how to deal with it, how to handle it appropriately. And then thirdly, maybe you're in the room today and you say, you know what? I just wanna live more like Jesus. I wanna know what it is to walk in grace when nobody else will choose to walk in that kind of grace. I wanna reflect the love of God to the people around me in a way that doesn't seem normal or it's not a way that anybody would ever choose to live, that it would be so contrary to culture and popular belief that people would have to see the love and grace of God in my life because of my actions. Maybe today you would say, you know what? I want God to show me this week how I can respond in grace when my flesh wants to respond in a different way. 
If either of those last two are you, I wanna just ask you to say your own prayer in your own way while I close this in prayer. God, I thank you for your son. And I, Jesus, I thank you for your demonstration of grace in situations that we would have responded very differently to. We thank you, Jesus, that you have modeled for us what it's supposed to look like. And God, today I take inventory on my life and I pray that you would shine the floodlight on my life, that you would show me the offended things in my life, the places, the relationships where I'm carrying offense, where maybe I've allowed the relationship to break down, to deteriorate because I've been offended. Lord, I also pray that you'd help me to see where I have caused offense. Lord, that you'd help me to handle these things appropriately so that the grace that you demonstrated to me would be demonstrated to those around me as I correctly handle these issues of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense in my life. God, I desire to replace offense with forgiveness. Would you help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to do that? And God, I want to live the way that your son lived. I want people to see Jesus in me. So Lord, would you help me? Lord, when I don't feel like responding in grace, would you remind me of how you responded to my sin, how you responded to my shortcomings, how you responded in these, the, the demonstration of grace to your friends when they abandon you? God, would you remind me of how your son lived it out for us to see a model, an example? And God, would you help us to respond, not the way the world tells us is justified, but God, the way that you want us to live in your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I wanna just encourage you to look for ways this week to respond in grace. It's not gonna feel natural, but the more we work that muscle and the more we practice this kingdom living, the easier it will become and the more we begin to look like Jesus. Amen? We love you. We believe in you. If you made a decision today to receive that new passport and that new life that Jesus has given, I want to encourage you to find somebody to talk to about that decision. If you want to talk to one of us, our team, me and myself and some of our team will be here. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. If there are any other prayer needs that you have today, we also welcome you to come. We would love to link our faith with you and to pray and believe God for the answers to the needs that are present in your life. God bless. Have a great week.